0: Kabbalah, and the psychology of the soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasnansky. So Maimonides says that that the ordinary person, judging from his own personal experience, from his own personal experience of knowledge, what knowledge means to us, and we know that our knowledge is a composite of three parts, it's difficult for us to clearly picture the concept, the idea that God's knowledge is an absolute unity, that you can't separate in God... And, and, the, and his ability to know, and his knowledge, his awareness. That it's not anything external, but God It's all internal, it's all absolutely one. It's like God knowing himself. Inseparable. So we left off last week, uh, there were many Kabbalists, many Jewish philosophers, who rejected Maimonides' whole approach. Uh, the most famous was the Maral of Prague, Rabbi Yehuda Chief Rabbi of Prague. He's famous. He made the golem that saved the Jewish people during, uh, uh, from blood libels and uh, pogroms. He was a, one of the greatest Kabbalists, actually, a uh, great, great, great uh, grandfather of Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya. And he wrote very uh, revolutionary books in Jewish thinking and rooted in the Kabbalah. And um, he lived a very ripe old age, in his 90s, He was very prolific, and his books are exceptional. You know, very original thinking, and very spiritual, and mystical, and very, very profound. So he has a whole polemic with Maimonides. In Maimonides' world, in the world of the Jewish philosophers, the mind, the intellect was the greatest. God was perfect intellect, an intellect that's difficult for us to fathom. An intellect where you cannot separate between the objective and the subjective between the knower and the knower. And they're inseparable and on one and the same. But nevertheless, God is intellect, pure intellect, perfect intellect. And therefore, how do you get close to God through philosophy? Proper philosophy. Jewish philosophy. And you have to know the 13 principles of faith, because that's the ABC. You want to, go to, you, ha, you want to enter into the world to come. After 120 years, you want to go to paradise. The soul, this is the ABC. If you don't know the ABC, you don't know the language. The ABC is the language of Jewish philosophy, of understanding God. Then you simply have no way of, of living in God's eternal bliss and being connected with, with, um, with God in the afterlife. So this was the philosophical approach to Judaism. Maral of Prague, Abihu who had a much more mystical approach, he argues vehemently with Maimonides. He says, how can you call God perfect intellect? Intellect itself is a definition. Not only is God infinite, that God's intellect is infinite, and His intellect is perfect and divine, but God is is undefined. You can't describe God as being intellectual, intellect. Because intellect in itself is a definition, is limiting. God is beyond any definition. God is infinite. The Kabbalists talk about God's being infinite. Although it's never mentioned once in the Torah, we, the Torah refers to God by His name, is the seven different names that God is referred to in the Torah, Kael, Elokim, Adnai, Yudkei Vavkei, Shaka, is, etc., we only find that the ur er in saf, God's infinite light, is hinted at, but it's never clearly spelled out. But this is the whole essence of the Kabbalah, highlighting and emphasizing the God being ein suf, God being infinite and undefined. So to really call God ur er, er in saf, the infinite, truly infinite, God has to be undefined. Because the moment you define Him, He's no longer infinite. Because intellect is, has a definition, intellect is not emotion. It's it's different. So if even if it's a perfect intellect, an infinite intellect, but the fact that you're defining it by intellect is already is already a um, a definition. And God, by by his being truly infinite, is, tr- is not only infinite but is undefined. You can't define God. You can't label God. You can't define God. God is not intellect. God is not emotion. God is none of the above. He says, and that's why the rabbis never referred to God as Haseichel, the intellect pure intellect, the perfect intellect, which was the ideal for Socrates, the ideal for Plato and and um, um, you know for all all the the um, Aristotle, all the great philosophers, that was their ideal. Their ideal was pure intellect and the angels are great intellects and God is the perfect intellect, the cause of all causes. But the Jewish, the Torah refers to God as Hakada Baruch. The Holy One. What does holy mean? What does the word holy mean? Kaddish, kedusha holy. Intellect is not holy. What is the definition of holy? Holy means separate, transcendent, above. It means God is something totally different. God transcends the entire known universe and our entire frame of reference. God is above our entire frame of reference. To define God with intellect, You can't define God by intellect. This is our boundary. Our frame of reference is the five senses, the mind, the intellect, the emotions, our uh, concepts, numbers, concepts, ideas, past, present, future. That's our whole frame of reference. That's our reality. We can't think outside of the box. We don't realize that there's, there's a whole other reality that's beyond our whole frame of reference. God, you can't fit God into a straitjacket. Don't call God, the Torah never calls God, Haseichel, the perfect intellect. God is not Seichel. It's putting God into a straitjacket. God is infinite. God transcends our entire frame of reference. Not only God transcends time and space, just like God transcends time and space, God transcends concepts, ideas, the whole idea of intellect, the whole world of intellect. God's reality is beyond that and transcends it. We don't know what it is. We're not God. Just like a blind person can't know what the sense of sight is because he simply doesn't have that experience it's impossible for us to know what God is all we can say is that God is infinite or in God is undefined we have no idea the moment we open our mouth it's not God because the moment we use a word to describe something it's already it's already a definition a description and it's already off it's not God what is God? we cannot know what God is because God totally transcends us he transcends our whole frame of reference we are not God we don't have God within us, we're not God, and we don't know what God is. To say that we can know God is like saying, I can grab God with my fingers. That's a ridiculous statement. You can grab God with your hands. So anyone who thinks that he can wrap his mind around God and understand God and comprehend God, it's impossible. You can't, Just like you can't grasp God with your hands, you cannot grasp God with your mind. God is not mind. God is not intellect. What is God? We have no idea. All we know is God is holy. Totally transcends our whole universe. Known and unknown universe. God totally transcends infinite, or in itself, undefined. So he argues vehemently with Maimonides, who defines God, that God is the perfect knowledge. God is the perfect knower and the perfect knowledge. And God and his knowledge and, his, and what's known is all one and the same and inseparable. He says it's all fine and good. But the call God intellect is already the meaning, is already a definition, is already a distortion. That's not God. God is holy. What is God? What is God's substance? We have no idea. So, therefore, the question remains We saying that the Jewish soul is rooted in God's wisdom, according to the morale of Prague, God's wisdom is not God. Because God is not wisdom. God is undefined, beyond any definition, beyond any description. Wisdom to God is the same like, like, like the hand, actions, totally external to God. So if the soul is rooted in God's wisdom, it's not rooted in God's essence. So how can we say that the Jewish soul is literally a piece of God, a piece of the divine essence? So he explains that, firstly, the Kabbalists agreed with Maimonides. The Kabbalists disagree with Rabbi Huda Low. They agree with Maimonides, as we find in the Kabbalah of, of Rabbi Moshe Kordaviro, who lived at the time of the Arizal, and it was like his teacher. And before the Arizal, he was considered one of the greatest Kabbalists that ever lived. He writes clearly, he takes Maimonides' approach, that God is perfect knowledge and God, the knower and the knower are absolutely one and the same and inseparable. But he says, even, even the Arizal, on whose um, foundation Rabbi Yehuda Lo, the Maral, built this whole approach, that God is infinite and God totally transcends any definition, any description. Even according to the Arizal, what we're saying here is correct, what Maimonides is saying is correct. Because the Arizal taught us that, yes, God is truly undefined, but God also has the power and the ability to concentrate Himself and to emanate from Himself and to reveal from within Himself intellect, supernal intellect, divine intellect, God's intellect. And therefore, on that level, we can say, we can truly say that God and His wisdom are absolutely one and the same. After God has condensed Himself and concentrated Himself, and so to speak, condensed His infinite self into into the defined world of intellect, God has that ability. Why? Because if you truly believe that God is infinite and undefined, then... To say that God could only express himself in an infinite way is also limiting. Because what you're saying is God is infinite and not finite. That's also a limitation. That's also a definition. The core God, aims Sof that God is infinite, is, uh, that in itself is a definition. Because what you're saying is that God could only express himself in a transcendent way, in an infinite way, that alone is limiting to God. If God is truly undefined, then God could do anything. So, God could take his infinite self and concentrate it and reveal it in a, in a very finite setting. And where do we see this? Where do we see this expressed? In the Torah portion that we just read, in the Holy of Holies. A, the temple was a place where God's infinite self is revealed. That's the definition of a temple, a holy place where God's holiness was revealed. His infinite self was revealed. In the temple, he had ten miracles. A Jew went to the temple with his naked eye. He saw on a daily basis ten miracles. One miracle after the next. That was natural in the temple because God revealed his transcendent self and therefore all the laws of nature were totally broken and shattered. And And this inspired the Jew. When the Jew saw firsthand godliness, how all the laws of nature were suspended before his eyes and that the whole world is really operating on a different level, it gave him a glimpse of God's holiness, of God's, divine self of God's infinite self and it reminded him that the whole world the whole world of nature that we're so caught up in that we, that we take for granted and that, we, that defines us that there's a reality beyond it that transcends the whole world of nature so this inspired a Jew and gave him the strength to be able to live a life of Torah mitzvah to go back to his farm, go back to his business go back to his mundane daily life and, and live a godly life and live a Jewish life but then there was the Holy of Holies The Holy of Holies was a miracle within a miracle, was a unique type of miracle that we don't find anywhere else. The rabbis say in the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies had a certain measurement, 10 cubits by by 20 cubits, approximately 30 feet by 15 feet. And then it had the ark. And the ark, we read last week, had the cherubim, the cherubs. On top of the cover of the ark, it had the cherubs with the wings. the rabbi said if you had four measuring sticks in the holy of holies from one end of the room to the other end of the room you would get 30 feet if you took a measuring stick of the ark you would get the measuring of the ark two and a half cubits so you have two measuring sticks already right? one end of the room to the other is 30 feet the ark had a certain measurement then, if he took another two measuring sticks from the wall of the room to the arc on this side, from the wall room to the arc on this side, he would end up with 15 cubits. As if the arc wasn't there. At the same time, simultaneously, <laughs> you, have, you, have, you have these four measuring sticks all out at the same time. And it's <laughs> 15 feet. The ark is not there. At the same time, it is here. I'm measuring it. And the room didn't expand. The room didn't change. i have measuring it. It's, it's 30 feet. It didn't widen, it didn't shrink. The Ark didn't shrink. It's the exact size the Torah sh- spells out. Otherwise it wouldn't be holy. The room would not have holiness. It's only holy because the Ark is precise measurements the Torah spells out. So it was a paradox. It took up space. It didn't take up space at the same time. Like, it's like a mind. A mind. <laughs> it's a trick It's it's like a pl- playing with your mind. It's, it's space and no space. We could understand a miracle where the laws of nature are suspended, so, so the laws of, of time and space are suspended. There is no space. you you, 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 you fall into a hole where there is no time and there's no space and you know the science, the science the scientists uh, imagine or dream of a, you know you go into a hole and you end up in a different time or a different space and you move from one place and one dimension to another dimension. that's fine. That's a world that transcends conventional world that we live in. But to have at the same time where time and space is time and space is space and it's rigid and it's defined and it's there and at the same time there is no time and space this is squaring the circle. This is a paradox. This makes no sense. This is stupefying. How is it possible? How can you square circles? It's impossible. At the same time. It's like putting an elephant through a needle hole. Not that you shrink the elephant and not that you expand the needle hole. The needle hole remains a needle hole. The elephant remains an elephant. And the elephant, as it, as it remains an elephant, goes through the needle hole. It's impossible. The human mind is impossible. That's exactly what happened in the Holy of Holies. Because the Holy of Holies expressed God's very essence. God's essence is, God is not infinite. You can't define and limit God to being infinite. God is truly undefined. If He's truly undefined, He's neither infinite nor finite. He is both, and therefore he can combine the two in a play, in a paradoxical play. You'll have finite and infinite simultaneously at the same time, at the very same moment. So therefore, if God would not be able to emanate from himself wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, as the Maral of Prague argues, if you say that God must be holy and God must be transcendent, and you cannot say that God and his intellect are one, God and His wisdom are one, then you're limiting God. Because just like God has the ability to reveal Himself in an infinite way, God also has the ability to concentrate Himself and manifest Himself in a limited way. And that's the power of Timtum. The power of Timtum is that God has the ability to focus and concentrate His infinite self and reveal it in a finite way. Not because God is finite. On the contrary, because God is so infinite, He even transcends being infinite. Not only does God transcend the finite, God even transcends the infinite. And therefore, he's so transcendent, he transcends even the infinite, therefore he can bring the infinite into the finite. And that's what he did in the world of emanation. God emanated from himself these defined attributes. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge, love, compassion. God is love. God is compassion. God is knowledge. God is wisdom. It's like saying that God is a finger. I mean, God is undefined. But God is so infinite, he transcends being infinite, therefore he can... Reveal himself and concentrate himself through tzimtzum. He can reveal himself and emanate from himself these attributes. So then you can truly say that these attributes are truly one with God. They're not separate from God. It's God's wisdom. It's supernal wisdom. It's holy wisdom. And therefore, when we say that the Jewish soul is rooted in God's wisdom, what we're really saying is that the Jewish soul is rooted in God's very essence. That every Jew has a piece of a divine essence inside him. Which also explains why a Jew is so paradoxical, because we are a divine people. everything about us is paradoxical. The nations of the world, the 70 nations have been watching us for 70 for, for thousands of years, and they still can't figure us out. <laughs> We're still an enigma, a riddle, a puzzle. They, don't figure, they can't figure us out. You know, either we are a nation apart, they can relate to the Amish, they can relate to monks, the Buddha. But to be simultaneously a nation apart, and yet simultaneously totally engaged in the world, taking the world head on, and yet simultaneously being apart, it doesn't go together. Either you're liberal or you're conservative. But to be both at the same time, to be the most compassionate people on the face of the world, and at the same time to be the most demanding people in the face of the world, Judging ourselves and living up to the highest level and the highest standard and, and pushing everyone else, demanding from everyone else to live up to the highest level. Usually people are very liberal, usually are very forgiving and soft and, and dumb down standards to make everyone feel good. People are very conservative, are very low in their compassion level. But a Jew is, is like two extremes at the same time. You don't find such a combination. It's rare. It's almost impossible. We're the most liberal, ultra-liberal people in the world. We love, compassionate. Every, we love all God's creatures. Every human being is created in the image of God. We take care of animals. We take care of trees. First environmentalists all in the Torah. And then at the same time, we're the most demanding, uncompromising. Usually people of have very strong faith not not the brightest bulbs. People who are very smart and very sharp and very... Deep and very brilliant, uh, not, not, the, not the most devout, intense faith. Only within the Jew do you find this absolute paradox. You have brilliant minds like Moses, Maimonides, the Baal Shemt of the Rebbe, most brilliant minds in the face of the world. They can match any Einstein, twice, ten times, in brilliance, and sheer brain power. And yet, they had the faith, the pure, simple, unadulterated faith of of a Jewish child. Wholeness and purity, unquestionable faith, powerful faith. Stubborn, beautiful, powerful faith. You don't find this combination. It's a paradox. But this is the story of the Jew. That's why the Jew is compared to oil, the olive oil. that's why we got the olive oil Shemen in Hebrew comes from the word also the essence since a Jew comes from God's essence that's why a Jew is like oil oil on one hand permeates everything you can find oil in anything today we hear of all the alternatives to oil they they make oil from anything from rocks, from corn if you squeeze anything ultimately you'll find oil but oil permeates everything it drenches everything it touches everything but oil always remains apart. You pour oil with any other liquid, with water, the oil will always rises to the top. That's the story of the Jew. That's the nature of the Jew. That's the nature of essence. The essence permeates and touches every aspect. We touched every society we interacted with, came in contact with. It. We learned and absorbed the best that every society has to offer, and we, and we contributed and left our mark in every society that came in contact with. And all the religions basically all copied Judaism. At the end, but we're a nation apart. At the same time, we're a nation apart. We engage in the world six days a week, and one day a week the world doesn't exist for us. It's Shabbos. We step off this world. We're in a different, we, 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 we go to heaven for, for a day. We're in a different world. We engage in the world, and one day is Yom Kippur. We're like angels. We're, we're a paradox. One day we're like angels, and the next day we're back on Wall Street in the stock market. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. If you're an angel, you're sitting on a Tibetan mountaintop, and you're meditating. How could you be an angel one day and a minute later you're back? How can you shuttle within one? It's like a paradox. But that's the story of the Jew. And that's why we're a mystery to the world. Till this very day they've been studying us. We've never left the front pages. They've been studying us for 3,800 years and they still can't figure us out. Because it mystifies the mind. It defies all the laws of nature, all the, all, all the spiritual laws. It just defies everything. It's a total paradox. Total mystery, enigma, puzzle. We're a holy people, yet we have a land. It's the ultimate paradox. Eretz Yisrael. What does spirituality, religion, have to do with a land? Spirituality is sitting and meditating on a mountaintop. Who cares about a piece of real estate? We're not nationalists. We don't define ourselves by land. And yet... Eric we have a land, a holy land. It's different than another. It's a land, earthy, but it's holy. Entirely different. This is the paradox of the Jew. That's why the nations of the world are so so focused on Israel, because they they can't figure it out. You have land and you're holy. You're compassionate and yet you're tough. You're fighting, you're, you're tough. You're uncompromising and yet you're the most compassionate people in the face of the world and yet the most uncompromising people, the most stiff-necked, stubborn, and yet the most loving. It's a total paradox. Every aspect of a Jew's life is a total, complete paradox. But that's really the story of our life. Body and soul is the ultimate paradox. We're physical and we're spiritual. The spiritual is pulling us upwards, the physical is pulling us downwards, the force of gravity. Our whole being is a paradox that good and evil live together in this world, are so intermingled, intermixed, is already the ultimate paradox. In heaven, you don't have it. In heaven, hell is hell and heaven is heaven. They don't mix. You can't mix the two. Two plus two is four, and three plus three is six. It's two, two separate worlds. You can't mix the two. How can you mix good and evil? When they're opposites. Only in this world could you have within the same block, within the same community, within the same person, good and evil. Good inclination and a negative inclination. Positive and negative. Within the same act. You can do something good, but your motivation is rotten. It's partially good. It's not clear. Poison, but something good can come out of the poison. You can heal. Too much of a good thing could kill you. It's so confusing. this This whole world that we live in is a paradox. So this is the story of our life. So the soul is rooted, our essence is rooted in the essence of God. And that's why we have this paradox. That's why this world is so holy. He says we are literally a piece of God. Where where does the literal piece of God, where is that revealed? The piece of God within us, where is that revealed? Only in the world of touch, in this lowest of all worlds, in the physical world. As we said earlier, the philosopher, Maimonides points out that although the Torah gives us an analogy for God, the eyes of God, the Torah speaks in the language of man, the ears of God. The Torah never uses the fingers of God. Because God, a sense of touch is so earthy that you can't compare anything spiritual to a sense of touch. And yet it's only when the soul, the Jewish soul, comes into this world, we're born into this world, this earthy world of flesh and blood, it's only here that we're able to reveal our true root, our true essence. That we, we are rooted in the very essence of God. And that's why this world is so full of paradoxes and that's why this world is the holiest of all the worlds and that's why this world is the ultimate purpose of all the worlds. That's why Judaism places the emphasis on this world unlike all other religions and all other mystical movements which place the emphasis on the spiritual that this world is a maya, an illusion and the ultimate is the world to come. Judaism says the exact opposite. The Torah doesn't even mention once the world to come. The Torah speaks of this world. This is the ultimate. This is our rendezvous with God. This is the world of paradoxes. This is where our true root, our, in the core and essence of God, is truly revealed and manifest. It's only when the soul makes contact with the body in this world, when we interact with the body, and we have to deal with all the negativity, we have to overcome the darkness and overcome our challenges and difficulties and wrestle and struggle and fight with the other soul. It's only then that the true root and source, our true root and source, is really revealed and manifest. Kabbalah and the psychology of the soul taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky.